What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of that Talk Louder podcast where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, and Instagram. And always at our website, talklouderpodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And today's guest is going to just be a riot. Um, I was a big fan of his, watched him all the time on TV. And yes, I said TV. I know most of the time we have guests on this show that are musicians. You listen to their records, you go to their concerts. This guy was on television. He was on that metal show, VH1 Classic, for 14 seasons alongside Eddie Trunk and Jim Florentine. We've got Don Jameson with us today. Uh, He is really a ball of energy. He's this little (laughs) guy with sideburns down his neck. Uh, that uh, goes on tour with bands and uh, warms up the audience with with comedy. And I think that people still hear that and are amazed. What, a comic opening or a heavy metal show? That's strange, you know. Um, And uh, it's not strange to me because they've been doing it long enough. Now, I say they, his, his cohort, Jim Florentine, does it sometimes as well. Uh, and it and it doesn't happen often enough. I think that it's a great sort of leeway during a set change, um, and definitely uh, prop, it definitely would help sell a ticket to a big concert if they're uh, because of that metal show. I I, uh, I was thinking earlier, you know, that metal show was a was a, a great sort of uh, compliment to to hard rock artists uh, because, you know, people just watching that show knew a new record was coming out or maybe this artist had a new book about their, uh, you know, the recording of a certain album or something like that. And I just think that it went hand in hand with what uh, the rock musician and and, uh, infamous or famous rock artists were up to. And they could, it was like news. They were like doing news about rock and roll. I thought it was was genius, even though they, they took some hits and were called, uh, you know, Wayne's World or, or whatever. And, and I'll, I'll say it right now, if it wasn't for that metal show, probably me and Metal Dave wouldn't have uh, uh, this, this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that show was exactly what guys like you and I always dreamed of i mean you you never saw that type of show on television that catered to the hard rock audience that was hosted by knowledgeable people who knew uh the music knew the personalities knew the life knew the touring knew the you know the knew the whole thing it wasn't just some talking head that got assigned the story to interview gene simmons that night it was a dude who went to concerts his entire life collected all the albums so it was coming from knowledgeable people and speaking for myself and i think i can speak for jason and probably most of our listeners uh we wanted a show like that so bad we could taste it and then we got it in the form of that metal show and thankfully it lasted 14 seasons and it was something i watched religiously so couldn't be more proud to have don jameson on the show today yeah he's currently out on uh, on the road with the dead daisies that features uh glenn hughes yeah uh, and um doug aldrich yes isn't that correct that's so it, they're a powerhouse. Uh, it's 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 a, would you call that a super group? 
Yeah, and uh, don't forget Tommy uh, Clefitos, Clefetos, I don't know how you say his last name, but he's yeah. on drums, and I actually saw him, uh, he toured with Black Sabbath, and he did a pretty good Bill Ward, uh, I gotta give un- him credit for unbelievable. that. Unbelievable, so so, yeah. so it is a super group, and they're actually in Texas at the moment. It's unfortunate that we're not a live podcast, so by the time this airs, they will They'll be back in their homes. They'll, uh, they'll be home in bed. Yeah, they, they'll, it'll be all <laughs> over by, by that time. So it was great to be able to hook up with, uh, with Don Jameson, infamous for uh, that metal show with, with uh, Jim Florentine and, and the mighty Eddie Trunk. Let's, uh, let's get on with the show. Yep. How you what doing, up? man? I'm good, man. I'm in. Uh, I'm getting close to you guys, man. I'm in Houston right now, and uh, on my way over to uh, Austin pretty soon, in a couple of days. So, uh, yeah, out on the road with the Dead Daisies right now, and having a blast. Yeah, were you in San Antonio last night? We were. Yep, we yeah. played the Rocks, and you know, uh, we're on. We were Dallas the night before, so we're making our little Texas run down here, and the crowds down here are always killer. So nice. And you're and you're in Austin tomorrow. Uh, Houston tomorrow, Austin on Sunday, if, if, we, if we're going live, but yeah, as we're taping this, yeah. Right. No, right. we're not, we're not live. So by the time they see this, you'll be back in Jersey for all I know. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Taking a well-deserved nap, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but hopefully I'll be seeing at, at least one of the two of you guys, uh, when I get to Austin. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'll try to drag Dave down there and we'll, we'll try to come see you for a bit. Yeah, uh, that sounds awesome. I love that venue. The venue is really yeah. cool. Good venue. Uh, come and take it live is where you're going to be. And yeah, it's, as long as there's a microphone and an audience, every venue is good to me. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Spoken like a true punk rocker who doesn't write. It doesn't matter if there's people there and I'm there. It, it reminds me of Mr. Hand's class. Right. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, it's crazy because... Um, when I first, uh, when we first went out to start the tour, their, their drummer, Tommy Clefettos was fascinated that I was going to be doing comedy opening up for a band and he couldn't get it through his head. You know, he's a drummer. So he, you know, he's got to lug drums all the time. He's like, I don't know how you did it, man. How you figured out to go out on a rock tour, travel like a rock star, but you don't have any equipment and you don't have to split the money five different ways. And you just, if there's a microphone, you could go do it. And I go, yeah, that's, you know, that's, I've created this real simple life where I get the joy of doing comedy, but without any of the drama of actually being in the band. Right. Yeah. And you know, man, you just jumped ahead to like my question number seven or something, but I'll go ahead and ask it now since you brought it up. I was going to ask you, um, when you go out on the road opening for a rock band, uh, now granted you're a rock and roll dude and people know you from that metal show and, and you're, uh, people are going to give you a, a fair shake because you're Don Jameson and you've got the credentials and all that stuff. But is there any challenges that you face opening for a rock band when you know that the audience is there for live music and they're ready to mosh and headbang and all that stuff? I, I think you just got to wear the right cut off striper shirt and you're going to be okay every time. <laughs> How many of those do you have? <laughs> One. <laughs> it's going to be ripe by the end of the tour, folks. <laughs> uh, yes, but, but it's, uh, you know, it radiates, you know, happiness and sunshine and striperness and the, the crowd loves it. So, um, <laughs> 
you know what, man, to answer, try to answer your question. Um, yeah, I mean, I have that uh, decent recognition factor with this audience, which is cool. But yeah, man, if you're not delivering the goods, you know, uh, you know, the, the rock crowds could be tough. But, um, you know, this tour has been amazing and the, the crowds have been fantastic. And, you know, I worked really hard on putting this set together and I keep it all in the family. That's the main thing. You know, I get up there. I'm not talking about my kids and my relationships and which I don't have either of, but you know, I'm not doing regular comedy club stuff. I'm up there talking about black Sabbath, ACDC, Metallica, Alice Cooper, Ozzy and all that stuff. So it, I try to, you know, make it so, you know, it's kind of in vain of what's going on. Yeah. When, when I saw you open for faster pussycat, you, part of your act, a, a good bit of your act was talking about Tammy and what was going on backstage. And so it was sort of an extension or in fact, it was an opening for what was to come after. So it really did tie in really well. That's the other key is touring with a band that has a sense of humor and that gets, <laughs> you know, what you do, you know, and those, you know, faster would come out, watch me every night. Cause yeah, every, every, tour stop i would have new stories from the road and i would bring them up on stage with me and and they loved it you know they they you know they uh they took it with uh with the love that it was intended but yeah but by about halfway through that tour i was breaking their balls for about half the set <laughs> yeah i as saw you, some as of you that. should <laughs> as you should and they're they probably uh would want you to break their balls yeah, kind of I think the bands yeah. feel left out when you when you're not sort of injecting a little humor on them in it. You know, even the Daisies. You know, I have some good jokes about the Dead Daisies too. So, um, and they've been. I mean, it's a, what an honor to be on the road with with a rock and roll hall of fame or legend Glenn Hughes. It's just yeah, you know, yeah that's pinch crazy. myself every day. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so they are they are good uh, good sports about it. By by same way of faster pussycat, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, rock and rollers. I mean, that's what they say. You know, they said, "Oh, you can't combine rock and comedy," and I go, "No, it's a the rock and comedy go hand in hand like Marilyn Manson and crazy. It's the perfect fit." <laughs> yeah. Most of the funniest guys I know are rock guys, you know, and yeah. I even talk about that in my act, like how funny Ozzy still is to this day. Like no matter how much damage he does to himself, he's still, you hear him in interviews. He always has these great one liners. He's like the Rodney Dangerfield of heavy metal. Um, so, you know, a lot of my inspiration, you know, um, you know, I say on stage, you know, I learned to say motherfucker on stage from Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister. <laughs> He's a great teacher. Yeah, and you know, I gotta. That's a that's a great segue because uh, I want to go back uh, close to where where you live and and how you kind of got your start. Uh, but you mentioned D. Snyder. You know, he he's still teaching front men how to how to front. He's still teaching uh, er everything that guy does. And say, I mean, he's a uh, he's he's like a New York Bon Scott. He's like a uh, you know what I mean? He's a he's a he is a teacher, and even yeah, if, even at, if at sixty six, even sorry, if, to... yeah, just even if he's teaching you how to say motherfucker, <laughs> he's kind of uh, we all got to start somewhere. He, well, well, right, uh, and, you know, he's just an awesome, awesome uh, powerhouse of a of a singer and a frontman and everything. For him to be right there in your backyard, and in uh, did you grow up? Uh, are you, you know, going to see Twisted Sister? 
Yeah, I did. You know, uh, and, you know, and I have other, you know, I have other words in my vocabulary, but, of you course. know, D, D said motherfucker with such relish uh, over the years that I always appreciate it. But I also appreciate that the, um, you know, the, the stage performance, obviously, as well. And so when I open for a band, I try to bring the same intensity as a guy like D, you know, or other great front men. Um, so that, again, it keeps it in the rock vibe. So I want my, my comedic presentation to have a rock and roll attitude to it. And, um, D's yeah. Funny. D's funny, too. D's hilarious. I mean, <laughs> when I saw, I snuck into the Chatterbox in Seaside Heights, New Jersey. Here we go. To see Twisted Sister. I didn't know who they were. I, you know, I just knew of them. I heard them, you know, I'd heard Shoot Them Down on the radio, I think, at that point. And I walked in there and they're all in lingerie and, you know, makeup. And I was like, oh my God, either these are the ugliest chicks from New York or the hottest chicks from New Jersey. I couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here it comes. Yeah. Yeah. We're helping them warm up for thank tonight. God. Yeah, thank God we have a podcast. Because, <laughs> you know, we, we're we not paying Don to be on here. We can't afford him. But, but yeah, it just warms me up for the show tonight. So this exactly, is we're exactly. Getting, we're, getting freeze, we're getting free jokes here. Thank yeah. you, Don. Um, so, so listen, how'd you let's, – let's go home. Uh, you're from New Jersey, grew up in New Jersey. Yeah, Jersey, New York guy, you know, back and forth kind of my whole life. But uh, yeah, been back in Jersey, living down by the beach for the last 10 years. And, you know, it's my my nice little my nice little quiet corner of the world. Um, you know, obviously, Jason, you've toured all over the world. You know, it, man, when you're home, you just want to be home yes. and you don't want a lot of noise and all the, the racket that goes along with what we yes. do. So, um, you know, I got a little house at the beach, man, and, and I love it down there, man. It, it's awesome. uh it's good for the good for the head. Tell us a little bit about uh, growing up. You know, like uh, you don't have to go to your childhood, but how did you get into to writing jokes or uh, into comedy? And tell us about your earliest concerts and and what makes you a rocker. What yeah. you know, what about it from from back home? Because uh, there's a lot of kick. I mean, Jersey is like. I mean, Fort Worth is like a an unknown sort of like. Uh, there is like some sort of nuclei of heavy metal coming from Fort Worth, Arlington, DFW area. Now I got to throw this in because we have a San Antonian on the on the show here, but San Antonio is is well documented as the heavy metal capital of Texas and or the world. The world but jersey is like is like that when you think new york and new jersey jersey metal is is out to crush uh, overkill uh i'll let's just start with that did you were you young to see overkill shows in 87 ish yeah. um yeah well I, I was a dj on the college radio station and my show was the monday night mayhem so yeah i was playing all these bands on my radio show and uh yeah well i got to go you know there's a club called birch hill and that's where yeah. a lot tons of bands played i mean i saw a million bands there made out with a million chicks in the parking lot there um so yeah we always had a good strong scene in jersey and still is you know i mean um you know 
there's cover bands that play three months during the summer. They play every beach bar up and down the Jersey shore and, and they don't work the rest of the year. They're, they're amazing. Um, so, uh, Jersey still loves their rock. Yeah. But for me, um, you know, uh, you know, I didn't come out of the womb with a handful of dick jokes in my uh, pocket. Um, but when I hit about 11, 12 years old, um, I, you know, I saw Kiss Destroyer in a record store and I made my mom buy it for me. I, you know, I kind of knew what Kiss was about um, from seeing them like on Don Kirshner's rock concert. And um, and I just remember taking that album home and holding it and going d- d- like for a 12 year old, this is the coolest thing on earth. They're rock stars, they're comic book heroes and they're um, and they're superheroes. Yeah. So, you know, and, and then I put it on and Detroit Rock City starts playing and I'm like, OK, I'm 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 in trouble here because this is the yeah. coolest shit ever. And then I had a buddy in school who, you know, like my parents were a little more conservative, but you always had that friend or maybe if you were the guy. Maybe you two were those this guy, but his parents let him listen to anything. So he was would make me tapes of like George Carlin and Cheech and Chong and give them to me at school. And then I would take them home and listen to them late at night when my parents went to sleep. So those two worlds always, you know, I always loved those two worlds, comedy and heavy music. And I'm, you know, I'm still the same 12 year old kid. I still love both those things more than anything. Yeah. So you, you obviously combined the two worlds, comedy and, and rock and roll. I was going to ask, do you, um, do you play an instrument? Do you, do you play any music at all or no? Um, you know, I play a little guitar, not, not, not very well, but I, you know, if, if, if a band asked me to come up and jam, I can keep a decently steady rhythm. But now most most of the guitars I have now, I just are from I collect and they're up on my wall in my house. Um, you know, I leave that to the masters. You know, I have too much respect for music. Yeah. So we usually ask people uh, on the show because usually they're musicians or or record nerds, that sort of thing. But you're 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 the first stand up comedian we've had on the show. So I wanted to ask you, do you remember your first stand up gig as a spectator? Do you remember going to your first comedy show? Oh, um, I used to. Yeah, I used to go hang out. I was um, when I was in college, I used to take the train in from Jersey to into New York City and I would go up to a famous club on the upper uh, on the Upper West Side called um uh, to catch a rising star. And that's where, you know, everybody started Seinfeld and Colin Quinn and Rita Rudner and a million other people. And I used to just go up there. Yeah. And, and go in and, and hang there and, and watch. And I saw all those comics in there in their early days before they made it. And then, you know, then a couple of years later, you see him on the Johnny Carson show and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I always gravitated to that world. And then, you know, the guy that changed my life as far as my taste in comedy and really seeing a guy take comedy to rock star level uh, heights, which was Dice, you know, and, you know, Dice was and still is my comedy idol to this day. You know, he's he's the embodiment of a rock star in a comedian's body. Um, You know, I I was there when he played Madison Square Garden. I was there when he played the Meadowlands in Jersey. I went to Nassau Coliseum to see Dice. And I just saw the power that he had with those crowds. I mean, those crowds, it was like mania back then, you know, like you would be in the crowd and like, if you didn't laugh at every joke, like people would like start to like get mad at you. You know, it was like you you had to worship at the cult of Dice. So it was, um, I just never saw anything like that before in my life. And I was instantly like hooked with that. 
Yeah. Now, did you tour with him at one point? I did about 10 years with Dice. You know? wow. so, yeah, just just amazing that, you know, and Dice is still a very close friend of mine. So, yeah, to be that guy that was standing outside of the garden chanting Dice, 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 Dice to, <laughs> you know, hanging out in hotel rooms with him till three in the morning, eating potato chips and and, you know, him telling me all these amazing stories from over the years in his career. And then to open for him, you know, obviously we weren't playing places as big as the Garden, but, you know, still playing a thousand, two thousand people. And they're still Dice fans, you know. So, you know, I, you know, I learned quickly. And this is why the rock crowds don't phase me, because with the Dice crowds, if I didn't get to that microphone before somebody yelled out, you fucking sucked, I was dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so you've seen it from both sides. So, who parties harder—the stand-up comic, the comics, or the are the rock stars? Because you both you both lead lives of. Let's face it, there's a there's a lot of loneliness out on the road, and 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 comedies comedians are very solitary. At least a band kind of has the bandmates and the and the crew. And like you said earlier, you show up, plug in your mic, and you're on. You know, so. Um, and having hung out with Dice, uh, you know, tell us which 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 group is the bigger bunch of misfits—the comedians or the rock stars? <laughs> oh well, the, uh, who are the biggest bunch of misfits is a different question than who are the biggest partiers. Because yes, answer both, answer both okay. for us. I think the biggest—I don't know—I think the bigger misfits are the comedians, um, and and I guess the rockers are still still the bigger partiers, but it's really. Not like it used to be, Jason. Back, especially you know, in the in in the heyday, right? That that's when there was some serious partying going on, and it really makes my me laugh because to this day, there's still that mystique of the backstage. And when I go out with these rock bands, you know, like you know, the Daisies are not big party guys. We'll still sit and have a couple beers together, or whatever. But it's, you know, I. It's funny. People are I see girls are like, I must be backstage. I have to be back no matter what. I must get back there. And then they get, work their way back after two hours. And it's just five guys sitting around talking about what their favorite Black Sabbath album is. Right. You know, drinking, you know, two guys are drinking water. You know, one of us is drinking beer. There's a few cold cuts sitting there and there's nothing going on. And it's such a letdown for most people. I was going to say, I was going to yeah. say five old men staring at their phone. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or, yeah. yeah. Even more that's, accurate. That's pretty much what, right. That's pretty much what, what it's like at my shows. It's you walk, but why do you, you don't need to be back here. There's it's five old guys staring at their phone. Uh, you know, when, when does the, when does the, the car leave back to the hotel? That's what. I want to go back to the hotel so I can watch HBO, you know. Uh, so hopefully I can see my friends do stand-up on HBO when I get back to the hotel. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's go back again. Like, like when you – did you ever uh, – didn't I see you guys at – didn't I see you with Jim and a bunch of other people at Caroline's Broken Teeth Tour? I did, didn't I? Yeah. I saw you open, yep. I saw you open a set at Caroline's uh, with, uh, uh, what's his name, Judah uh, Freelander. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, he, he was there, and uh, you and Jim were buddies with a, a female uh, comedian who was just hilarious, 
uh, and I can't remember her name right now. Laura Levitis. That's right. And that was probably <laughs> 2008, seven, 2007 or something. Anyway, probably. Yeah, that was before that metal show, I remember. Yeah. That's right. That's a legendary club, and I feel extremely lucky to have been there. And you and Jim were the reason I, I, we all got to walk in uh, on your coattails. And uh, that was a good time. That was a great time. Uh, well, you were you were one of the early rock guys that you know that we you know befriended because we were such big fans of you, um, and obviously still still am. But um, you know you you and um, you know Diamond Vinny, you know God rest her souls, um, you know were guys who loved to go out and and watch comics. You know that was yeah. what they liked to do when they weren't on stage rocking and. And and you're the and you're the same kind of guy and uh, yeah you know playing a place like Caroline's in Midtown Manhattan it's the big showroom you know that's you know when you're a young comic you're like I hope I play Caroline someday so you know for musicians you guys have those venues that you held dearly like if we could ever play there that would be great and then and then you play there and then it's never enough then you know and then you're looking for the next <laughs> right. big place to play but I think, um, I think it's cool like when you when you grew up in the area and then you get to do gigs at at the places that you've gone to see your favorite comics at that has yeah. to be the same kind of rush i mean the venues you mentioned earlier that you were there with dice i've played those venues i can die a happy man those were you know i mean uh, you know it's like i've played cobo hall and nassau coliseum well guess what i'll got two words for you kiss alive <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and i did and i with my dice, i did I did Massey Theater in Toronto, which is where Rush recorded their first yes. live album. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. All the so world's you're, stage. You know, I'm thinking about that as I'm going on stage, that, yeah, Rush recorded All the World's a Stage right here. Yeah, you're, they, you're, you're, thinking like, you're thinking like I am. There's a little bit of fanboy in all of us, and you think like that when you're just doing your thing. It's another day on the job, but it's also you're also in this sort of like uh, outer body experience because you, you know, spent many, many, I'll just say years staring at the fine print on the back of these records. And now you're standing on the shoulders of giants, so to speak. You're standing in the spot, same spotlight. You, you're looking at the album cover in your head while you're standing there in the same spotlight. Yeah. How, tell us a little bit about that rush um and even just going to see because you're friends with dice like you mentioned talk about it again where you were at uh you know the garden and and uh hang were you were you backstage at that dice show or were you oh. out in the crowd oh no yeah there, i would jason back then i would have had no idea how to get backstage at anything you know that there would be I, to, to me it's that same mystique of like, I, you know, I need to be backstage, you know? And then when we started doing that metal show and I started getting to go backstage, I realized, yeah, it's not quite as exciting no. as you think, but it, no. you know, Dice, Dice told me a funny story. Cause um, you know, Dice isn't a party at all. And um, he said, uh, he was asking me, he goes, he goes, what did you do? Like after the show, I go, I was outside with like thousands of other fans and we were still chanting dice like 15 minutes after you left the stage. He goes, you want to, he goes, take a guess what I was doing 15 minutes after I left the stage. I go, oh, you were probably backstage with Playboy models and partying and rock stars and everything. He goes, I was in Brooklyn walking my dog, drinking a Slurpee from 7-Eleven. 
<laughs> Gone. Yep. Wow. Well, I go, I, my, my imagination of what you were doing was way better than what the reality of what happened. Right. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of, it, it's so that this just kind of proves that it really is kind of the same if you're in a band or if you're a, a comic, especially if you're pretty much a rock and roll comic like you are. Um, once again, I really think that, you know, you and, and Jim Florentine have like sort of circled around this great idea. And I guess Jim Brewer has, you know, he's got that a little bit going on. But I don't know of a, a whole lot of comedians who have put this heavy metal comic thing in a box and because that's that you guys are the only i mean i've gone to see you guys at comedy clubs and you'll talk about uh you know bands you like and music and then it'll it'll go it'll you know you'll go into just you know dick jokes and then you'll come back home to where you where your rock and roll mind is but then the next comic will come on or there'll be one on before you and there's I mean, sure, they're they're talented and you're laughing, but there's something different about what's going on because it's obvious that you guys are headbangers, and yeah. so it's it's complementary to uh, to a lot of what you know. I mean, there's a reason why we want to talk to you because we're we're going to end up talking about Black Sabbath and Kiss. Yeah, and plus somebody probably just canceled. <laughs> Yeah, well, we we had Paul McCartney scheduled for the podcast today, but yeah, thankfully yeah. you were right here in Texas and, and you, you were, answered the call. You so. were you were available, so we said, "Hey, Paul, yeah. can we postpone your? We're gonna Don well, Jameson." Yeah, I, he, get, he gets bumped by me all the time. Right, <laughs> it's one of those does. things where you're following him on tour, and when he has yeah. to cancel, you you take a, a red eye. Yeah, yeah, and, and you, then all the calls come in for refunds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I just wanted to mention because, you, you know, we do inject, you know, our love of this music in, into our nightclub act, not to the extent that I'm doing it when I'm out with the rock bands. Right. You can't make sure. striper jokes in, in a comedy club. You can't make a joke about, you know, dream theater in a comedy club. But you can talk about the bands that everybody knows, like Twisted Sister and Molly Crew and Ozzy. And so pe and people get all that that kind of stuff. But, you know, the guy who really egged me on was the comedian Brian Posehn, who's another guy who's yeah. a... Yeah, that's a right. He's, comic. he's a heavy... He's a headbanger, too. That's right. I'm yeah. sorry, Brian. I forgot him. He's a... I've only got to meet him one time, but what a super cat. What a mellow, cool, awesome dude who was in an episode of The Mandalorian. He's got us beat. Yeah, and he, he said to me, because he came and did that metal show in the early days, and he oh, was cool. like... He goes, do you write a lot of stuff about metal and all that? I go, not too much, you know, because, I, you know, I don't want to waste time if if the crowd's not going to get it. He goes, I used to think that, too. He goes, but you'd be surprised. They, they know more than you think, you know, and and depends on how you set it up. Um, you know, if you set it up right, they'll they'll get it, even if they don't really know the band. Like I do a, a bit about Guar in my act and I do it in the nightclubs, too, and maybe three people ever clap that no guar you know mm. um but but the way i set it up and explain that they wear monster costumes on stage and they decapitate each other with chainsaws so i i paint the picture for them so that when i get to the punchline, everybody laughs because it doesn't matter if it's guar it's just the it's the visual that i create in their minds so there is right. a way of presenting it and i'm glad brian said that to me because then that really opened up the floodgates yeah Con context is everything 
Yeah, like you, you said, you don't even have to know what Guar is or who they are, but you set it up right, and then you deliver that punchline, and they're laughing because the joke was funny, regardless of whether they know who Odorous Urungus is or not. <laughs> it's kind of like if you start with the chorus, you're you're leaving a lot of things out, so it's good to tell them the verse, you know, tell them the story getting up to the chorus, so then they can join in by the time the chorus gets there. If you start with the chorus, people who don't know it, they're going to be like, what, what the hell's going on? If you start with the verse, they're like, okay, I'm with you, I'm with you. Oh, and living after midnight. Got it, right? <laughs> the thing is, living after midnight, technically, right? Time out for a second. Starts the song with the living chorus. after midnight starts with the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it was a great musical comedy analogy right up to that point. I blew it. I blew it. Oh, I, 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 I fixed it, and I blew it. Uh, blew it apart right after I built it. Don, b before I forget, I wanted to wish you a happy belated birthday. Wasn't yes. your birthday this week? Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, out on the road with the Daisies, like celebrating my fifth uh, birthday. I was yeah, seventeen. Say, don't let the day over seventy-five, man. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing is working. So, yeah. hey, I, 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 I wanted to ask you about your your comedy albums because, of course, they have a, a heavy metal slant. Um, especially the artwork and the titles. You've got one called Denim and Laughter that mimics the Saxon album Denim and Leather. You've got one that mimics Judas Priest uh, Hellbent for Leather called Hellbent for Laughter. I wanted to know if when you put these albums out, do you need to consult with these bands to sort of appropriate the artwork and the title or or not? Good was, I, was I supposed to be asking for permission? <laughs> Whoops. Dave, hold uh, on. We, Dave, we'll edit just, that out. I think you just blew it, bro. He's, he's going to get cease and desist now. <laughs> well, he hasn't done Kiss yet that I know of, so he should be safe for a while anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm avoiding the, uh, the the lawsuit happy bands. But uh, uh, no, you know, it's, um, I, you know, I never really thought, <laughs> I never really thought to ask. But, well, Denim and Laughter, though, I did. Denim and Laughter I came up with actually um, – drinking red wine with Biff from Saxon. And, you know, and he knows, you know, I did Live and Hilarious also, which is Live and Dangerous, Thin yeah. Lizzy. And uh, he goes, oh, you know, all your comedy albums uh, are parodies of your favorite bands. You haven't done a Saxon one yet. And and I just, I go, all right, how about, um, and I start, you know, cycling through all those album titles and uh, Denim and Laughter. And, and I, I said, you you get me the permission to use the artwork, and that'll be the next one. And sure enough, you know, that's what we did. So uh, Love I was that. psyched that they were able to to to. That one's all legal. The other ones, I'm I'm still available to be sued, which would be good publicity. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> right. Well, hey, I wanted I wanted to propose one for you because I know sometimes the creative juices run dry. I've got a proposition for you. Your next comedy album could be a parody of Anthrax. It would be called Among the Laughing. What do you say? I, I like that. Yeah. Very good. Sure. Very good Among the laughing. That's and you could sort good. of superimpose your face on the cover with the guy with the hat. You think those guys would be cool with that? That's why I'm asking the question. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he hardly knows the anthrax guys. He's from the East Coast. I bet Scott would think it was great. I don't want to assume anything. Yeah, no, but that you you know you we were talking about overkill before, but yeah, that's you know Anthrax obviously a big part of you know the scene in Jersey, New York back in the day, and yeah, I've been lucky enough to get to know those guys over the years. Yeah, I, you're like I, Scott 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 would definitely um, 
would definitely dig it. You know, he's Scott's really, you know, sometimes he's the whipping boy for people in this business. When, when, they, when they've talked enough shit about Lars, Scott seems to be the next in line sometimes, but you know, he's just a terrific guy with a great sense of humor. So uh, I will, I, yeah, I will take that under advisement. You know, I got to get a motorhead one in there too. Mm, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I definitely yeah. need a motorhead. Um, no, I was going to ask you also, what's the, what's the greatest comeback you've ever unleashed on a heckler? Oh boy. Um, I, you know, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I don't plan them out. That That's the thing, uh, you know, because, um, you know, you think when you first start, like I'm going to have all these great comebacks with people. And if they say something, I'm going to go, I fucked your mother or something, you know? And then you, then you realize like quickly that, you know, if you, it's a weird thing. If you come back too hard on a heckler, the audience will turn on you. Yeah. <laughs> Even if they're being an asshole, but the, you know, the crowd doesn't know because people will still come up to me after I'm doing this 22 years, they'll come up and go, Oh my God, you, you tore that guy apart. You know, was he part of the actor? And I go, no, I, you know, it's just, you know, that's just what happened in the moment. I would, you know, no. And then, you know, they'll always come and go, oh, I was helping you tonight. And no, you weren't. <laughs> and you're never, trust me, you're never helping. And there's not one comic that's ever done this job that likes a heckler or thought they were helping ever. So it's just it's just a, a, an occupational hazard. You know, like any other job, you know, some some days the boss is an asshole and some days they're cool. And so it's just part of the gig. But I don't know. I don't it's, you know, I don't really have a set comeback. It's just whatever happens in the moment. Yeah. You, you, I, I didn't you, mean you, that you had one rehearsed. I just was wondering if there was a time when in the moment you just zinged somebody really bad, and just, just handed them their ass after they were trying to be funny and bring I, you down. I, I almost feel like there's a. I mean, I've I've seen D. Snyder like totally fry someone, and they were just standing there. <laughs> he's burn he's burning somebody, and they're just standing there. Uh, here you go. I'll just, I now have to say it. There was uh, Dave knows this club at the back room, and I it my, I think it was uh, Desperado, his one of his side projects. But this would have been uh, early '90s, mid '90s, or something. And Probably Widowmaker. Wasn't a whole lot of Widowmaker. Thank you. Al Petrelli on guitar. Widowmaker. Yes. Widowmaker. And uh, there's a guy wearing like it's it's the nineties. He's wearing like a you know, a lumberjack shirt and some plaid. He's where he's kinda, you know, looking grungy kind of thing. And he's leaning up against a pole and he's not he's not like screaming or yeah or anything. He's just leaning up against a pole with a beer or whatever. And D's like, hey, you, yeah, you right there. You, what are you? What, what are you? Some kind of trickster? Because <laughs> he was wearing plaid. Remember the video where all the guys are wearing, like, I thought it looked like they were wearing their pajamas, but they're wearing all, all uh, plaid stuff. You remember that? They're riding yeah, motorcycles yeah, yeah. or something? Yeah. He was yeah. like, what are you, a trickster? And it, you had to have seen the trickster video to even know that. <laughs> That's right. You know what I mean? So, And I can't believe he used it. He used that, what are you, a trickster? Anyway. <laughs> I'll, 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 give you, I'll give you one that my parents were in the crowd, and I never, I never saw a look on my parents. All the crazy things I did in high school and college, I never saw a look like this in my parents' face because I got myself into a situation with somebody in the front that they thought this is gonna, this is gonna doom the whole show. Oh no! These two women were sitting in the front row, and they were laughing really loudly. And at one point, 
the woman goes, I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm laughing. And I go, don't, please don't ever be sorry for laughing loudly. That's what we want. I go that the guy in the back who was heckling me before, that's what we don't want. This is the kind of noise that I like. And she's like, Oh, okay. I just thought it was too loud. I go, no, I go. And I noticed she was all tattooed. And I said, Oh, I go, um, I said, I asked her about the tattoos and she goes, oh yeah, I got some here and I got one on my foot. I go, oh yeah, what's that? She had open shoes on. I go, what's that one on your foot? And she's like, well, um, it's my dead husband's name. And oh my whole, God. And this is, I'm doing an hour. This is five minutes in. Oof. And yeah. the whole room just comes to a complete halt. Morgue. And, and I and I look at my parents' face and they're like, holy shit. And then and so and I now in my mind and this is all happening in like literally one second. In my mind, it's like I gotta say something here that's either gonna end the night completely or is gonna they're gonna carry me out on their shoulders. <laughs> and and she saw the look in my face, like she could see me thinking the woman, she goes. She goes, oh, no, no, don't worry. Um, you know, I, I'm remarried again. I'm very happy. I go, oh, OK, good. And, you know, and also you got you don't have a tattoo on the other foot. So at least if he dies, you know, you have another place to put your, your second. Oh. Death. <laughs> and there was a half a second where nobody knew what to do. And then the place went ballistic, laughing just so loudly. And everybody just felt a sense of relief. And they all looked at the woman. She was cracking up. She was doubled over. So you never know what you're going to get into when you're up there. Oh, so I, awesome. I have this I have this thing that I always because it's, you know, people will come up to me and tell me that I'm a funny guy uh, in between songs you know, uh, Steve Whiteman is also a really strong, he's strong in between songs. He doesn't let the audience, you know, he doesn't try to, he doesn't want to lose anyone. He doesn't want to fuck around too much, but he's always keeping it really light and having funnies and, you know, picking on people just a little bit to have, have fun with the crowd. And um, I'm not saying I stole that from him. I, I stole everything from you know listening to all of the bands that i listen to but especially people like d snyder i think he's an amazing front man um if anyone if anything he's the heckler right so you gotta be careful about what you're using <laughs> yeah. you don't want to fuck with people too hard you know um and i probably learned how to say motherfucker on stage from d as well but it's it's you're just working the room as you were telling that you know you're kind of like um it's not that kind of stuff is not pre-planned like we're writing songs to play and what happens in between is uh improv yeah so you it, it's the same for a comedian i would imagine you you have these this material you're gonna do and you're gonna set it up and you're kind of working the room until you're setting this up if someone interrupts you you still have to think off on your feet you have to be you have to work the room in order to get back get back to where you were they're kind of fuck up your flow you know it's like stopping us in the middle of a song on stage because somebody threw a bottle and hit you in the head or you know whatever it it just depends on what it is and you know you would have to deal with something like that too without getting arrested anyone starting a fight you know so that was a really good situation to talk to bring this into my question it's like do you officially work the room 
improvisational sort of in between what would be if you were playing music your songs you have your jokes you have your pre uh, you have your your material and in between you're kind of just working the room and saying hello and da 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 maybe commenting on the the lady or this or that you know how do you have any uh any stories about how you had to think you got any more of those well i mean i think it's like i, I like i go on stage with, with a structure in my mind of kind of what i want to do but then when i get there i always hope it doesn't go that way you know <laughs> because because i got the structure because if you don't have the structure then then you just have chaos right you got to have a plan but I can go off the plan and and then come back to it because I know it's yeah. there. So I always have yeah. that's you know I always have my home base to come back to. But you know I told the, the Daisies you know when I got the offer to go out on the tour with them, I worked on this set for like three months straight, perfecting it, getting it perfect, getting the punchlines down, getting all the setups and the premises, getting the order of the material down to where it really flowed and and made good sense. And then I told him I'll do that the first night. And then I hope I never do it that way again for the rest of the tour, mm. because you got to leave room for improv. You got to leave room for the guy in the front row who looks like Scott Ian's grandfather. You know, you got to leave <laughs> this space to be able to have fun. You know, oh, you know, look, at thanks. You know, I loved you on Duck Dynasty, sir. You got to be able to. You know, <laughs> you know, move outside of the framework and, and have fun with it. And, um, you know, most comedians are, I try to be precise with my delivery, but sometimes in the moment you just, you'll, you you want to switch joke around or say it a different way or whatever. And so I love having all that room to do that. But if I, but if I don't have a roadmap on how to get from the beginning to the end, then it's just mm. nonsense. So um, as much as I could go all, rogue go off road of what i want to do that's when it's the most fun like yeah. when there's a couple of different versions of dave grohl in the audience you know you've got nirvana yeah. dave grohl over here and you've got foo fighters, <laughs> foo fighters dave dave grohl over here man i loved you in nirvana and then you do another bit you know you oh i loved you when you wait a minute you know what i mean hey can y'all stand next to each other for a second so i can take a picture because that album and that album are my favorite albums if i never mind yeah <laughs> it's the same yeah uh, working the room is kind of has to be so important like you said with any comedian like i would imagine i remember seeing dice as well as a lot of the comedians you've actually already mentioned on like a uh, late night comedy show tv um and uh they were we would record them on vhs i'm aging myself and on our, my early tours on, on the tour bus, as soon as we were rolling out of town, everyone's on the bus and we're watching, you know, everyone's having a drink, right? And we're rolling down the road and we're watching VHS tape after VHS tape of all this shit that we recorded off of late night comedy TV. And it's all these guys and a ton of it is dice. And seeing people, not all of them, of course, they're kind of sticking to their plan um, because they know it's on television, right? Uh, and they probably super tight schedule set time. You're on and go, right? When they announce you, you go, right? Yeah. It's not like, well, we're gonna we're gonna push you back five minutes. No, because you're on TV. Uh, Dice work in the work in the crowd. There was these other guys. I can't remember their name. It was like they would sort of like hit like a slow spot. 
and then be like, uh, hey, can I bum a smoke? Yeah, <laughs> with the audience, and they're on TV, <laughs> and it would turn the whole into a bit. And I can't remember this guy's name. He was really good. I bet you would know his name. And he was like, he would be like, uh, can I have a smoke? Thanks. And can I have a light? Yeah, thanks. And, and he'd be like, I'm sorry, I left mine in the machine area. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like uh, just kind of going with moment, and it ends up being funny. Uh, is there anything like that where you have come up with material by something where there was sort of a slowdown in your set, and you maybe remembered it and wrote it down and, and interjected it into your show? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. You know, see, th right? Th those moments, like you. <sighs> I look at those moments as, yeah, that I just wrote a new bit, essentially, you know. So when I get backstage, the first thing I do is is write it down, whether it's a, it was a one-liner or if it was a conversation. And, you know, and then I try to work it in, you know, naturally as as a new bit. So, you know, I see a lot of comics who are – and, of course, Dice is the master at crowd work. I mean, there's nobody better ever than he than he is. Um but I see comics will be on stage and they're very good at, be, at being extemporaneous. And, and then, uh, and I'll say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. what was that word again? <laughs> Alexa, what is the definition <laughs> of extemporaneous? <laughs> wow. And I'll go, and I'll go, dude, you got to write that down. That's such a funny bit. And, and you go, what did I say? And I go, Oh, you know, you got to take advantage of those moments because you never know when you, you know, just because you didn't sit down with a piece of paper or, or type it into your iPhone notes doesn't mean you didn't write something, you know, in that moment, you know, and it yeah. might not end up working out. But, yeah, I try to always those are the moments I try to remember when I get backstage. I agree 100 uh, percent. Dave can back me up on this. He was full on involved and it's happened more than once. Be hanging out with Dave or talking to Dave or something and. And uh, one time, <clears throat> one time he said, uh, I forgot, Dave, maybe you can uh, help me out here. You were talking about something and you said, yeah, it was like a crash landing affair. And I'm like, what did you say? And yeah. you, do you remember that? Tell yeah, us yeah, the yeah. story. We were, Jason and I were going to a, a concert here in Austin. It was one of these big outdoor day long rock festival things. <clears throat> And Buck Cherry was on the bill, and I I kind of became friends with the Buck Cherry guys because I was one of the early journalists that was sort of championing them and got them into Metal Edge magazine and all this stuff. So they uh, they were always taking care of me whenever they came into town. So me and Jason are driving to the gig. We pull up into the it's a field, and we pull up into this field. And Jason goes, "Okay, man, so." you got this all squared away. We're on the guest list. Everything's all sorted out. And I was like, that's what they told me, but you know how these things are. It's all bit one big crash landing affair. And he goes, what'd you say? <laughs> and I was like, uh, crash landing affair. Yes. And he wrote it down. Yeah. And then of course he turned it into a, a song about a naughty stewardess <laughs> on an airplane, <laughs> so, but it made so, a broken teeth record. So, Hey, there you go. Yeah. Dave, Dave is my muse. I must confess <laughs> uh, metal. Dave has been my muse for 25 years. Uh, follow him around like a puppy dog, waiting for him to say something. He's my thesaurus. I have no great ideas until I'm in the room with metal. Dave, you heard it first on the talk louder podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he said that, and it worked out into a great lyrical miracle. And uh, it was on, uh, that's on a Guilty Pleasure album, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Which is coming out on vinyl soon, and Don, you will get a copy. 
Absolutely. Thank you, man. Yeah, I, I know, know the song well, I, but now I know the inspiration. Maybe Dave, maybe Dave will get one until he gives me some more song ideas. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you could give me a transcript of this this podcast and then I so I could study Dave's words, because so far I haven't written down anything that he said, but maybe... Maybe I'm not reading between the lines enough. Pay attention, he, Don. You might get a bit out of this. He's pretty good. <laughs> he's pretty good, actually. But he hadn't said as big a word as you said. Again, be quiet, Dave. What was that word again? <laughs> Say Extemporaneous. Extemporaneous. Yeah, that's going to go right over the rock crowd's head. I have no idea what that is, but it sounds like my new death metal band. <laughs> yeah, with the unreadable logo. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's tree Don, branches. Tree branches. Right. Let's, yeah. let's let's talk about that metal show. We can't yes. have you on this show without talking about that show. So uh, first of all, congratulations. 14 seasons is badass for a, a show that was sorely needed, obviously had an audience. Uh, when I when I think that it lasted 14 seasons, that's just incredible for the type of show it was and for the audience that it that it uh, catered to. Because that audience is often marginalized and considered so small and uh, not important, but 14 seasons, congratulations. So tell me, on that 14 seasons on that show, which guest was the most fun for you personally to have on the show? Well, well, the 14, uh, thank you, and the 14 seasons sounds nice, but they just didn't have any other shows. (laughs) (laughs) Fill in airtime. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, if they, if they had other shows, we probably would have lasted one season. But uh, you know. so the, the network was just going, just play it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, I always break it down into two categories. My favorite guests and then guests that, that are my favorite because we're making a TV show. So for me, you know, my hero of life is Lemmy. So anytime Lemmy was on the show, that was good enough for me. I don't care if he just sat there and smoked and didn't say a word. That to me, that's the best show. Yeah. Um, Alice Cooper, you know, who's obviously he's you know still performing at such a high level. He's mm-hmm. such a gentleman. He showed up by himself every time, you know, with a book and just, hey, Coop, you need anything? Can we get you some food? Can we, no, I'm good. I'm just gonna sit and read my book. You know, whatever. Um, and Brian Johnson, same thing. Brian Johnson shows up, you know, just dressed like he dresses on stage with the cabbie hat and the jeans and the black T-shirt and no entourage or anything. And just, you know, real down to earth guy. So, you know, guys like that, you know, are personal favorites um, for making a TV show. I like the guys who, you know, whether you loved them or hate them, you had to watch the show. So guys like. You know, Marilyn Manson, Ted Nugent, uh, Phil Anselmo, you know, Dave Mustaine, guys who will say anything at any time. Um, and again, if even if you didn't like him, you go, I, I got to watch because I know he's going to say something that'll make me angry, you know. <laughs> and um, so for making with making a TV show, I, I, I dig those kind of guests. Yeah. I can totally relate. Uh, as a journalist myself, people ask me that all the time. Who's your favorite interview? And I have the exact same two categories. I have the people that I'm proud to have interviewed because I appreciate who they are and they're personal heroes of mine. But then I have the interviews that were fantastic because the person will say anything or else they're just a great conversationalist. And I, like you, one of my all-time favorites is Lemmy because he's Lemmy. But then on the other hand, I've always had great interviews with Brett Michaels from Poison because he's such a talker, you know. And so I totally get what you're saying. 
Did you ever have anybody come on the show that surprised you in a bad way? Anybody that was like belligerent or showed up wasted or just pissed you guys off for one reason or another? Too many demands. Oh God, no! no besides, like besides besides Jason, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eddie Trunk showed up pretty <laughs> no, a couple no, of times. No, uh, <laughs> no, we look. We were we were a safe space for people. You know, it's like that, you know, who's that redheaded guy that was always tagging along? Oh, Jim! <laughs> yeah. It's Jim. That's Jim. Yeah. That's right. Oh yeah, that's I forgot he was on. Yeah, yeah he was. He was um, there too. That's right. <laughs> no, people. You know, people came. People. People were cool because, like, they knew we were legit fans, and they knew they were going to get a fair shake. And you know, we, you know, we wanted to be the Tonight Show for you know rock fans. You know, you're not, you're not having, you know, George Lynch was isn't going to be on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno back then. You know, but right. you know, for us, he's he's our, uh, he's you know, he's our, uh, you know, Channing Tatum. Or, you know, Jared Leto, you know, like right. to us, that's who he is. Yeah. So we, you know, we treated everybody with respect. You know, we broke balls, of course, you know, if we knew somebody really well, um, you know, we'd break balls more than others. But no, even look, even Ingve, you know, came on like right in the first season, I think, or maybe the second season of the show uh, when really nobody still knew who we were. And Guy, you know, the guy did this show several times and, you know, he never unleashed the fury once, which I'm kind of pissed about because, you know, we would have got some good press out of that. But <laughs> everybody, honestly, man, it was it was such a positive experience. And, you know, I'm glad because, you know, they say, you know, never meet your idols, but I haven't been disappointed by one of them. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That's really, really amazing that. There's not any, uh, it's the same with, with when, you know, someone has asked me pretty much the same question, uh, not to turn everything towards me, 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 but I'll tell you, when they say, did you ever tour with anybody that was just a real asshole? And I, no, maybe I was the asshole. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe someone didn't like, they finally met me and was like, that guy's fucked up, man. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, it's the same thing. I'm. I'm joyfully surprised that no one was was actually uh, hardcore on me and tell me to you know you kick oh, you, I'm going to kick you off the you know no threats or no one was belligerent or or, or out of line at all it was it was usually you know you got to think about what it is that we're doing here all the three of us in this room and the people that are listening and everything it's like why would someone come in and just I mean. Other than Ingve when he unleashes the fury, but you know when I'm when I'm saying he's that got he got popular because of that, didn't he? Just for just being a rager sometimes. Yeah. Was it because he was drunk? Yeah. So and he's he's still you okay. know people still ask him all the time in interviews about it, and you know he's like, look, that's that's back. I was he admits he goes, I was at, drinking heavily back then. It was a long flight to. Mm -hmm. To, to Japan and you know we were in first class and taking full advantage of it and you know the tape's still out there on the internet it's it's hilarious you know yeah. when he says I, you unleashed the fucking fury and <laughs> I'm glad the guy can laugh about it now yeah, you know that, that yeah. says uh that says a lot right there anyway what I'm saying is is you know this is entertainment and this is passion and this is love and we've all grown up as the same people that we are right now if you're if you are a rocker when you're a young person 
and then you look like we do when you're 50 something you're you're kind of fucked this is what you this is who you are and this is what you do and you're you break balls because you love each other you're not breaking balls because you want to unleash the fury or be a dick to someone because it's sport for you it's this is you know I, I I have a record collection, and the people that made these songs and this music have changed my entire scope of life. And this is a way of life. This is I, I am this way because of music. And I know that you guys can agree, and I know that the people uh, listening and watching are the same are the same fucking way. And I tip my hat to anyone who understands that. Yeah, well, I, when we did that metal show, man, I just thought of it as me hanging out with two of my best friends and talking about this music that we love. But and then you sort of realize over the years, like, you know, you know, everybody from James Hetfield all the way down would say thank you. I hope you know how important to the scene your show is. And, you know, bands would say how they got a new record deal because of doing our show or they got a tour that they didn't think they'd get because wow. they got the exposure on the show. And so when you I, when when you start to learn about that part of it, um, I, how I mean, how can it be more anything more rewarding for uh, to return the favor to all these amazing musicians and artists that are all in our record collection that yeah. we worshiped over the years. And so if, if we, if we've given back at all and, and helped any of these guys in any way, man, then, uh, you know, I can, I can say proudly, you know, we did our job. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. let me just say this, you, you could say this in a, in a, in a phrase complimentary to our industry, your show was complimentary to our industry. Yeah. And uh, thank God that happened. Now, I, I want to throw this out. What is is there any truth to um, you guys, publicists, reaching out to like Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons to try to have them on that metal show? And they said something to the effect of, why would I want to be on Wayne's World? <laughs> Tell me no, about that. that was that was actually Paul Paul Stanley was doing like a I don't know what it was, like a TED talk or something. He oh. was in front of a bunch of uh younger, you know, younger rock fans, and somebody in the crowd asked him, How come you've never done that metal show? And Paul said, uh he goes, Oh yeah, he goes, um, that's a little like Wayne's World, that show, isn't it? Oh, okay. <laughs> and okay. um and we thought it was I listen, we thought it was hilarious. I mean, <laughs> I, I wish we were it Wayne's is. World, we would have made a lot more money. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Well, if there right. wouldn't have been for, and I say this quite often, and I'll just wear it on my sleeve. It's like, you know, uh, that's one of the shows that Talk Louder rips off. It's that metal show, Wayne's World and Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. It's pretty much it. We're ripping off right fucking now. I'm not uh, going to mince any words for you. We ha hey, If it makes you feel better, Don, we haven't had Paul Stanley or Gene Simmons either, so... There's that. We're we're all in good company there. <laughs> right, right. So, so Eddie, we we took a few shots at those guys over the year, all in good fun. Because at the end of the day, again, we'll go back to the Destroyer album. You, I can separate totally when I put that record on still to this day, and it starts playing. There's, you know, there could be no insult that could ruin my enjoyment of my kiss records i mean that's just here, here. it's ingrained in me and the fact that paul stanley and gene simmons even know who i am and who we were sure. was was doubt doubt whatever regardless of what they would say it was cool that they knew us yeah absolutely that's right absolutely. that's right, <clears throat> that's right. So, they, so they didn't say they didn't say at any point 
that metal show, what is that? They didn't yeah. say that. He had an <laughs> yeah. answer for you. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. So Eddie, Eddie used to make it quite known that he, he always wanted to have, you know, Gene and Paul on the show because he's a huge Kiss fan. Um, and, it, and it never happened. But who was the one band that you wanted to have on the show that you never got on? You guys had Peter Chris, though. You guys and had Ace. Yeah, that's yeah, right. And Ace. Ace you is had the other no two brain. guys, just not Gene and Paul. Yeah, but but who's the who's the band that got away for you personally, Don? Well, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. Um, you know, uh, we never were able to have Eddie on, and you know, the, I understand that you know those guys had always run a tight ship publicity wise. You know, they really picked their spots. Um, we're doing stuff. I know Eddie re really preferred to do talk to like guitar magazines and stuff like that. So, but but there was a point where you know he started sending his equipment for our guest musicians. And that's what, you know, everybody played through the last handful of seasons was, you know, all the EVH amps and, and equipment. So we, we thought at some point, maybe the more stuff he sends, you know, maybe eventually he'll send himself along and, and we'll, we'll have some time with Eddie, but it, it never happened. And, you yeah, know, the, now, the now truck, he's gone. The, but. the truck backs up and the, and the back goes up and Eddie's there with, Hey, what's up guys? <laughs> they take him out on a hand cart. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Eddie Van Halen would have been obviously a, a great one. <clears throat> I, I think that it's a, I think that what you guys pulled off uh, it, just as fans it, is amazing, but to be sitting there next to, you know, Kirk Hammett and, and Michael Schenker at the same time, <laughs> they're sitting right next to you this at the same time uh and then uh you know brian johnson uh, uh i don't i, I would have turned it into into i would have turned into wayne i'm not worthy <laughs> i'm not i'm not worthy um i think that it's uh it's amazing what you guys pulled off all the way around i let me ask you this i've been meaning to ask this how when did you meet Jim Florentine, because uh, and and I'll I'll throw this into a soup, and then you can tear it all apart and tell me the ingredients. How did you and Jim hook up, and then how and how did you and Jim hook up with Eddie to get this show happening? Yeah, um, we I, I met Jim before I was doing comedy. Even you know I I had seen some some uh, videos of Jim, and I thought he was hilarious. He and he had real he had long blonde curly hair back then, and and I had long longer hair back then too, and um a comic friend of mine who knew Jim was like, you got to meet Jim Florentine. I go, Oh man, I love, he's a really funny comic. Yeah. I'd love to meet him. He goes, you guys are cut from the same cloth. You know, you guys both love metal. You love comedy, love strippers. You guys have to meet. So, uh, you know, we've all gone through our stripper phase. So <laughs> we, uh, we met and yeah, that, you know, um, I started tagging along with him to gigs and then, you know, but, and I was secretly writing, stuff on the side for years and you know that, that's when i sort of got my bravery to ask jim like how can i kind of get going with this you know i wrote all this material and i don't know what to do. i don't know if you want it or whatever he goes now he goes come with me to a gig and I'll, I'll get you on get you some stage time if you want to you know give this a try so you know jim you know was the first guy to like really 
you know, get me to go up there and, and do it. And, um, you know, um, it was fairly miserable, but I, you know, I got a couple mercy laughs and <laughs> but that's 22 a, that's years a... later, I still got a couple mercy laughs, but <laughs> well, you came to the right place today. <laughs> uh, I think that that's awesome. Yeah, that, that, Jim I didn't know that. was, was like this Pied Piper and he was like dragging you in to the, the, the pit, right? You didn't want to go in the pit. I don't know, man. I might break my arm or something. You know, I'm a, I'm a quarterback. You know, no, man, you're coming into the pit. And uh, and here you are. Like you said, hats off to Jim. Uh, do you, I mean, you guys are you guys are are definitely cut from the same cloth. Um, so how did the two of you then hook up with Eddie Trunk to, to, to finish off Jason's question? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously, Jim, you know, Jim and I have been now, you know, c comedy partners in crime for, you know, 20, 20 plus years. So, you know, when you when you find a great ally in the business, as you guys know, you know, you don't you hold on to them tightly. And, um, you know, Eddie was the third piece of the puzzle because, you know, we were fans of his radio show and we listened to him talk about these bands and the passion he had for him. And we're like, yeah, he's one of us, too. Yes. We got to meet guy and we met him backstage at an Ozfest um in Jersey and he you know said hey why don't you come up and sit in on the show with me sometime and, and you right. know that's really how it all got started and you know here we are all these years later and I've done so many things together and um you know and still best friends you know that we, we we hung a lot you know during the early days of the lockdown you know we sit down at Eddie's beach house outside and grill and drink beers and solve all the world's problems, you know, and <laughs> it was, it was great. You know, it's, it's great that, you know, we're all still, you know, I, I say we, we still do the show, you know, it's still the same crap that we talk about, you know, yeah. we still end up talking about which Iron Maiden album's better or who's the better singer for this band or that band, you know, you're we're just, just not getting paid. You're just in, you're in Eddie's backyard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you also, uh, related to that metal show, um, <clears throat> because I can't not ask you again, how much maintenance went into getting those sideburns so razor sharp, man? Everybody I asks mean, you about your sideburns. Dude, well, you've never seen anything like it. And I can't tell from – they're gone now. Yeah. No, they're still there. You can't – your hair's the, the, longer now. The, yeah, the hair's longer, and the, and the trick was, was she, powder, she put powder in them. Ah. So they really pop. Okay. So now that you don't have the makeup crew, they're not as evident yeah. as they were before. Yeah. So, so who, who inspired have, the sideburns? Um, Lemmy. Yeah, Lemmy. You know, yeah, I was, I was, I, I'm not brave enough to connect him to the mustache, but <laughs> I just always thought like um, the sideburns to me, like, like you have to have them because they're like the. Um, you know, they're like when you have like a motorcycle helmet on, it's it's like the clasp. Like I feel if I don't have the sideburns, my hair will just fly right off. Yeah, it's a chin strap. <laughs> yeah, it's, a chin, it's like a chin strap. You know, yeah. it just doesn't fully connect. And, um, you know, Sammy Hagar used to love my sideburns. He would always, when he came on that metal show, he would always tease me about them. He, he's like... He goes, bro, with those side, he goes, I got an El Camino that would be a perfect match for your sideburns. <laughs> perfect. perfect. 
perfect. Yeah, I mean, they were razor sharp. You, you, I got to give you that. They, they were a real piece of work and still are. You just don't have the makeup girl or the makeup guy or whatever, I guess. Hey, I'll, uh, I'll, I carve them in for the, I carve them in for, uh, for the live shows. For the tour, yeah. Hey, I, I want to play a little game with you real quick. <clears throat> okay. So, do you have this? I not on vinyl. No. This is the new. Well, do you have the new Danko Jones Power Trio? Yes, but not on vinyl. What? Oh, uh, that's uh, you've made that very clear, Don. <laughs> but I will. <laughs> but yes, you will. Uh, your name is in here. Oh wow! He put you and Jim in here. Danko was another guy like you, and and like and and uh, so many other guys that we met even before that metal show who dug what we were doing comedically, and and Danko is a guy that you want to talk about a great front man, a guy yeah. who will. He's almost like he's like D. He's the heckler. He's the heckler. Yeah, he's yeah. gonna make. He's gonna bring you up to the stage. He's gonna go. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Why are you walking away? You better come over here because in five minutes you're gonna be singing my song. <laughs> Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Yeah. And then you meet him. And then the first time I met him, I didn't even realize it was him because he was so quiet and yeah. like so reserved. And he had a hoodie on and he was just kind of standing against the wall, not saying anything. And and then Jim's finally like, this is Danko. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that was a good, that was a good Jim impression. I guess I hung out with him long enough to, to be able to do a gym. Uh, yeah. Now, now, do, have you heard? I just this admired record? his his stage presence. Do you know oh, this that record? Oh, that's so good. Yeah, uh, this sweat this, blood. This record makes me want to whip out my cock. Uh, so this <laughs> this one, if you when you listen to this one and you listen to this one, is there a go to between these two? Maybe it's a bad time because this one's brand effing new. Yeah, that's the problem. That that the power trio is too new to. Yeah. You know, to to stack it against some of the old classics, but um, you know, once I live with Power Trio for a while, I'm sure you know. Yeah. You know, how, I, and I, if and if we do this podcast a year from now, I'll go. Oh, Power Trio is a million times better yeah. than We Sweat Blood. <laughs> right. And then if we do it a year after that, I'll say We Sweat Blood is better. You know, it's right. Yeah, I guess it depends. Never-ending argument depends on what mood you're in, but We Sweat Blood is just like a hammerhead. It just yeah. kills every yeah. time. But Power Trio, I had to bring Danko into this. Um, one, because I saw your, you and Jim's name in the in the thank you list, which I think is awesome. Can you tell him, Jealous, that I'm not in there? <laughs> well, I'm not either. So. <laughs> See what I mean? He didn't put Metal Dave in there either. What the hell, Danko? <laughs> he didn't no, get a no. song title out of me. Maybe I'm, that's why. Right, right. He didn't like it. Yeah, he didn't. Well, he, he's like Don. He doesn't know that you're the muse. Um, but I'm totally down with uh, Danko, as you know. I'm extremely proud to to tell this story. Jim was down in San Antonio doing, he was on tour doing a comic. He was out on the road with like three or four other comics. And they played somewhere, Dave will know where this is, this place somewhere that uh, wasn't Sunset Station. That is the venue, but it, it was in a room. It was in a side, a smaller room, and they had comics in there. And I went down there to to watch Jim's set, and I I it was when I was super fairly new, maybe six months or a year into being a huge Danko Jones fan, because I heard about him from this uh, Danko fan in Scotland. Uh, names escaping me, Allison Murray. 
uh, turned me on to Danko Jones. And it was like when Danko only had like two or three records out. Blood wasn't even, wasn't even out yet. And, uh, and I'm like telling Jim, man, there's this guy from Canada, Danko Jones. He's like, Dan- what? What's a Danko Jones? Turned Jim on to Danko. And I'm sure that as soon as he heard it, he was like, dude, check this out. Dude, hey, hey, Don, check this out. The Jason from Texas. <laughs> Jason McMaster told me about Ben. <laughs> Listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I could do this for hours. They're like, if you could pick one thing that kind of got you hooked on rock and roll, what would it be? Kiss Destroyer. <laughs> yeah. Just... He's a good listener. Yeah, he is a good listener. That was the third time Destroyers come up in this <laughs> in this episode, and uh, I'm not complaining one bit. That's uh, my gateway drug for sure. Hey, Don. We really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, yeah. I could talk to you for hours and hours. You're such a solid dude. And, um, you know, we're cut from the same cloth, just like me and Dave. And we just really appreciate you being here today. Yeah, absolutely. I, what can I say, man? You you know, I really, you know how much I appreciate your friendship and, and, and still a big fan to this day, which is great. And Dave, it was great meeting you and, and hanging today. And um, let me know if I could see you guys in Austin. And anytime you need me, I'm here, brothers. Go ahead, Don. Sorry, Bill. What'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> Stay extemporaneous, guys. 